When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello everyone, I'm Chris Wynn and welcome to the Rogan Report podcast in association with Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen, where we once again arrive at the beginning of a new season. This time it's the 2021-22 season as we have a fourth attempt at getting out of League One. And in our opening fixture, we take on Wigan Athletic at the Stadium of Light, who have graced our presence in the third tier once again after they were relegated from the Championship last season for the third time in seven seasons. So to bring us up to speed with all the comings and goings at the DW Stadium, we are very pleased to have the company of Chris Marsh from the Pie at Night website and podcast. Hello, Chris. Good evening. How's things? I'm all right. I'm looking forward to the start of the season. It doesn't seem two minutes since since sort of it finished, but I suppose we've had the Euros in between, haven't we, as a bit of a buffer. And are you, are you ready for the proper stuff to get going again now? Yeah. As much as I like watching England and it was good over the summer, it's not the same as watching your club side, is it? Nah, it's a, it's a distraction, isn't it? But uh, mm-hmm. I'd, uh, I'd take Sunderland winning something over, over the national side any day, I think. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, just a bit about you, Chris, and, and Wigan uh, Athletic, I mean... How do you find yourself uh, a Wigan Athletic fan and, and kind of how far back does it go? Um, we're going back 30 plus years now, 35 years nearly. My, my granddad and my dad used to take me to Springfield Park, um, sort of late 80s, early 90s. So we've, we've been going a long time, um, <laughs> on and off. I've had a season ticket for, for at least probably about 25, 30 of those years. A couple of years when I was 16 or probably 12 months when I was 16 and I was made to get a Saturday job and it didn't exactly coincide with having the afternoons off for the football for a, for a short period. But yeah, mm. I've been going a long time, seen a lot, been up and down. Yeah, yeah, imagine. And to be honest, to be honest, there's probably not many clubs had a journey like ours over that 25 yeah. years. I'd, I'd much prefer it to being an Oldham or a Rochdale and pottering about in the same division for 20 odd years. Yeah, I was going to say, look, you know, early 90s, knocking around, Division three, I bet you you never dreamt ten years later you'd have a kind of a long stint in the Premier League. No, and and when Dave Whelan took over and said we want to be in the Premier League in ten years, everyone thought he was mad. Never ever <laughs> envisaged it happening. Much to the point that my dad, when I was growing up, as his league, his what was his league team was was Spurs. He supported Spurs because he, um, as a seven year old, he he saw the. Uh, the 1961 FA Cup final. It was the first televised mm. match he saw and fell in love with Spurs. But like Wigan were his non his non league team and never ever thought that they'd ever meet. So yeah. <laughs> so it was he on the Wigan side when it came down to it. 
Yeah, I think Spurs from a distance, but yeah, we've always been watching yeah. Wigan. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's always been up and down, but uh, I did want to speak to you about the last couple of years, so apologies in advance to, for kind of dragging <laughs> this up again, because it's a pretty incredible story. You know, going back to 2018, Whelan family sold up t- after 23 years um, being associated with the club, sold to a corporation based in Hong Kong for £22 million, who just over a year ago, June 2020, uh, they sold the club to another group based in, in Hong Kong, who then announced administration only a month later. I mean, you know, last summer seemed from the outside world to be kind of every football fan's worst nightmare at Wigan. How did that hit everyone at the club? And I mean, could could you actually believe when, when they actually made that announcement only a month after taking charge? It wasn't, it was completely bizarre, completely out of the blue. I think it came on a Wednesday morning and we just beat Stoke on the Tuesday night at home and seemingly at that point looking like we were doing all right for staying up because we obviously we've been in the relegation battle for most of the season but as as I don't know whether it's a common phrase up there but doing a Wigan and pulling it out of the bag with the last 10 or 12 games <laughs> it, with with a, a handful of our runner games we have a sort of a joke that um a running joke that we, we don't play well with the orange ball so we're all right at the start of the season and then when, <laughs> when the weather gets bad and the pitches are a bit of a mess and they don't like playing in the rain throughout winter and then come the end of February and then it's it's picking up again. They're all right, they're back on it. Yeah, it, it was just completely bizarre and, and without without getting myself in legal trouble if this gets heard in the wrong places, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't even as straightforward as you've just described it. When you say one company sold to another company, it, yeah. it seems as if it was sort of sold to himself. There was rumours yeah. at one point that were put out by Rick Parry that there was... Gambling debt involved. The only the other thing the, the fans last year was all over the internet finding all sorts mm. about in paper trails with regards to accounts registered all over and something in the Cayman Islands and did this fella that he'd sold it to even exist. We have someone who's a regular guest on our podcast who he has his own travel business and spends quite a lot of time out in China and North Korea etc. Hong Kong over that way and mm. he was getting people who he has contacts out there, translating newspaper articles out there for us and all sorts of stuff. The fact, it is it is an, an open fact, that because it was Begbie's trainer who were appointed administrators, one of them came out quite early doors and said that they were contacted before the sale had even gone through about placing Wigan in administration. So it just, I, I don't really want to use the word corruption, but it, it it's not just a straightforward like decided that they can't afford to pay the debts anymore and that's it. They literally just decided they they were pulling out for whatever reason. There was talk of um a forty million pound loan that was due up in the in the July and they've used it as some sort of money laundering chance to bounce some money through the club, through the Cayman Islands and out the other side to pay this debt off. There's the problem is there's no way of proving any of it. And when you've got owners yeah. that are based in Hong Kong and they're that far away. There's no way of, of proving any of it. The thing, that, the, the hardest part of it, really, I suppose, and, and there was a lot of people that had been at the club for a long time who ended up losing their jobs. Nonetheless, the, the chief exec, Jonathan Jackson, whose dad was involved with Wigan in the 80s and whatnot, to the point where in the 80s where they looked like they were struggling for money, doing people wandering around doing collections with buckets and all sorts. Um and he'd, he'd been at the club for a hell of a long time, ended up losing his job, and people in the ticket office that we've we've all known, the, the, we've come back with 
the stewards, even people like the stewards, you go to the game and you see the same steward on your steps every time you go and as much as they're there to do a job, you'll have a chat with them and say hello. And, and a lot of them are local people. Yeah. The ones that are there now or that have been there since the start of the season are all from some sort of contracted company. You don't know who they are. And it's it's those sorts of things that you don't realise the effect. Someone pointed out on, I went to the Friendly on Friday and someone pointed out on, on Friday night that all the tellies have gone off the concourse. And it, and it's that, it's things as simple as that, as the administrators taking all the tellies down and selling them to, to pay debts. But we've come out the other side and we're debt free. So I suppose that's a good place to start. Yeah, I mean, I've, I mean, just on that staff, I read it was like 75% of yeah. all of the, the, the backroom staff. I mean, that, that just kind of rips the, rips the heart of the club, that, doesn't it? Especially yeah. in an area like Wigan. Yeah, and big employer and a, and all, a lot of locals ended up suffering at the, at the hands of it. I mean, you mentioned uh, Rick Parry as well. I mean, was that when you say the, the kind of secretly filmed thing? Because I, I read yeah. that he was kind of talk, yeah. talking about putting bets on that Wigan would be relegated, which yeah. is just incredible, isn't it? And and again, it was it was a rumour, but it only got made public by him at that point, up until he said it. And yeah, it was a, mm. it was a fan who happened to live down the road from him. Knew he knew that he lived down the road and went and and sort of spotted him at his garden gate and was asking him, and yeah, he was filming it sort of like surreptitiously on his phone. But up until that point, no one had even mentioned the fact that it could have been due to a betting syndicate. It was him that put that in the public eye. So you sort of think, well, where have the AFL got that from? <laughs> but yeah, well, if if he's if he's going around saying that some you know things like that, then surely somewhere some rules were broken somewhere along the line. Because if not. I mean, where where are we if if no rules were broken and they were able to do that? That's it. It's I suppose rules must have been broken somewhere. It's it's the whole. There's no protection to any of it, and nothing seems to have changed. We we as Wigan fans, as much as it had happened to us, and wouldn't have wished it on anybody, perhaps except for mm. Bolton, who'd already been through it. But um, we yeah. the, nothing seems to have been changed on the back of it. There's the we the sort of suggestions at the time of well when a new owner takes over they should have to put up x amount of pounds in a bond that the efl keep hold of for the duration of their ownership and then if things do go wrong they've got like six months of money to keep the club running while they find a buyer they'll seemingly just turn around and say right as from tomorrow i'm not paying any bills it's up to you yeah it's scary how kind of quickly you just feel like you can like this sort of thing can happen you can just kind of lose control because mm. I mean I mean I, I was reading as well ahead of last season it looked a bit unsure whether Wigan would have the finances to fund themselves through last season and I saw that the fans raised half a million initially with with quite a bit more kind of further on to keep the club running I mean did it yeah. did it actually fail throughout all last summer did it actually fail at certain points that you thought we just could lose our football club here yeah especially what had happened with Berry and Macclesfield not too far away from mm. Wigan it was yeah. it was a case of we really could end up with a, having to start a Phoenix club and I, I know it, to some extent discussions around that got quite far down the road with the we might not be able to finish the season. Apparently, and I don't know for definite, but the EFL were adamant that Wigan would finish the season regardless of mm. how, whether they were going to um, pay out TV money or transfer monies that they'd receive from other clubs that were owed to Wigan to, to do that. The fans did rally round and we raised a hell of a lot of money and that was paying towards the end of the season that we were put into administration, paying for coaches to away games and 
hotels for the players and all sorts of stuff. That was what that initial like block of fundraising was used for. And then yeah. the second lot was sort of earmarked for trying to get a fan representation on the board. But again, the costs, the the amount of money involved in doing so, in, in having enough money to buy a share or enough shares to get representation on the board, it's it's astronomical and it's not looking likely, but there is yeah. a pot of money that's still there with the sports club. And maybe it's a, a rainy day fund or if this happens again and we just keep it there as as a as a, a backup option. Yeah, it's, it's amazing to think that that sort of thing needs to be thought about. But uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, just just as a kind of final thought, I mean, on on some of this, because obviously it was the the kind of Whelan family who who sold it to these people. I mean, is that a kind of a mark against their name in a way because they did so much good for Wigan, but to to give it to that consortium and went on to do that. I mean, I know hindsight's a, it's a wonderful thing, but do you think there maybe there was wasn't kind of due diligence going on when they, they made that initial deal? Um, I don't know, because from from them first being muted for takeover and it actually going through, took a good six to nine months. So you'd like to think that there was something done. I wouldn't say it's a mark against Whelan, because at the time he wanted to sell, there'd been two or three people he'd spoken to and it hadn't gone anywhere. He'd got to a point where, again, he's, he's, an, he's an elderly man now. He couldn't carry on running it himself. It, yeah. We were running at losses of sort of a million pound a month or something like mm. that, and that's what he was like the, to the tune of what he was funding the club to. But we were becoming sort of, and that sounds daft, but more more sustainable. We were mm-hmm. we were signing players and with the view to developing them and selling them on and and bringing in enough money in transfer fees to cover the cost of like the next season going by. It. And we've got we've got a very very well run academy. Um, and that that was another heartbreaking thing of the whole the whole administration is that the academy's been decimated. A lot of our young players ended up going for cheap. Joe Geldart went to Leeds for next to nothing. Um, another young lad, Alfie Devine, ended up going to Tottenham. Not not a lot of money. Another one went off to Brighton, and and those were you think well if you can keep hold of them and get two or three years out of them, that some of the prices paid for championship players now. And I know we'd been relegated, but if we'd have managed to get promoted again and had this this run of youth in the team and giving them a chance you can get good money for young players even at championship level nowadays and that would have funded the club I think we lost something like something like at least 45 million pounds worth of players for the sum total of about 9 million quid if that probably not even that yeah I remember that divine deal I remember thinking at the time yeah. was it, it didn't something it, it kind of stretched out, didn't it? That divine deal. It, mm. it was it was looked like it was going to happen a few times before it actually did. And I'm not sure you got kind of the most money you you could have got from. No, but you're in a position you're in, you're in a position where clubs can take advantage of you. And as much as it's not very nice, and you think, well, the likes of Tottenham have got more than enough money to be to be paying not like top whack, but decent decent prices for people. We've done it in the past. We took advantage at one point when. Crystal Palace was in a similar situation to sign Victor Moses for next to nothing, so we can't really complain too much. Yeah. I suppose. I suppose the one the one thing that really stuck in our craw was Chelsea. Our goalkeeper coach went to Chelsea, and they wouldn't even give us something like twenty grand in compensation for him. <laughs> which twenty grand's not a lot of money, but it would have meant the yeah. the world to us at the time. Just just to be able to pay pay 
like a week's worth of wages or whatever your squad wages. Doesn't doesn't surprise us though in the slightest. No, no, it doesn't. Yeah, you like the thing. It's swings and roundabouts, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure. But uh, but I mean, it got into last season. I mean, going into November of last year, um, there was a Spanish bidder who, and all that was all up in the air. But um, Wigan were kind of bottom of League One, two wins in the first eleven, and then John Sheridan resigned to become manager of Swindon Town, who were four places above you and two points above you in the table. I mean, in hindsight, that wasn't necessarily the, the worst thing in the world. But would you say, I mean, was that about, was that kind of rock bottom at that point when your manager left? You you know, you couldn't get new owners in and things looked pretty bleak coming up to Christmas last season. It did. And at one point it looked like the Spanish lot were sort of the last chance, the last people in town looking at it. The the people that have come in now, the Bahrainis, have sort of said they were always in the offing. But the... The administrators gave the Spanish bid exclusivity for quite a long time and kept ex- extending it, sorry. So mm. all of that's going on and there's other people looking to bid and they can't get access to any of the documents, they can't do their own due diligence, etc. The Spanish bid mm. failed because of one of the people that they wanted as a director had some black mark against him in Spain and therefore wasn't going to pass the, the EFL test, which is ironic considering what had happened with the previous <laughs> owners. When, yeah. when you bear in mind, when you say... The administration takeover, as in one company sold to another and then they put as an admin a month, They that seems to just get waved through without anybody asking any questions because mm. basically the current owners and the, the new owners at that stage were sharing half of, half of the board was the same set of people and it was almost as if we were swapping one out and one in and, and changing the name of the company and the EFL seemed to wave that through. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the Spanish, yeah, the Spanish bid fell down and it wasn't looking very bleak. The thing with regards to Sheridan sort of coming in and leaving, Liam Richardson, who was Paul Cook's number two, was the coach early on. And sort of indications were that he didn't feel confident in doing it on his own. And he wanted the administrators to bring someone else in and he'd carry on as a number two or work in the background, etc. He brought mm-hmm. John Sheridan in and he was a waste of space. And I think if you ask Swindon fans, they will say the exact same to you. There was an article at Weekend and I can't remember who it was, where it was, but it was about Swindon. It was about Sheridan and Swindon because yeah. the guy that's on Swindon for a long time, Lee Power, has just relinquished control and the fans have been fighting against that for a long time. But there was an article about Sheridan and it was one of the players who'd been interviewed at Swindon and said, one game, they didn't even see him throughout the warm-up, through nothing. He literally came in the dressing room two minutes before kickoff, wrote the formation on the board and walked out again, didn't even utter a word to him, just sent him out onto the pitch. And we had similar at Wigan in that he didn't accept any responsibility for anything. And bear in mind, we'd lost that many players. We were playing a lot of our first team at that stage of the season was academy. They were young kids. They sort of needed an arm around them and a bit of encouragement yeah. because because they're young and they're actually having to step up and play league football for the first time. They've not had the chance to be blooded. They're literally thrown in and playing Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday against grown men, against teams full of grown men. And and he was berating them. He was giving post-match interviews going, well, I've given them instructions and they're all useless and stuff like that. Well, it's not exactly getting where he wants to. And the marked difference from when he went to Liam Richardson and Gregory Rioch, who runs the academy, and obviously, Rio could work with a lot of these kids over a number of years. The marked difference in attitude and just the way we played after he'd gone was was unbelievable. And it did take time to get results. And we did have the luxury of a January transfer window to bring in some loans and a bit of experience, etc. But it was young kids for that early part of the season that were carrying us. 
and they'll and yeah. it, they'll never be forgotten. None of them will be forgotten for the fact that they stood up and stood up to be counted when we needed them. Was that in the athletic? I think it might have been. It might have been. Yeah, and I mean, because he John Sheridan left uh, Swindon in April, didn't he? Go, I yeah, don't yeah. know whether he got the boot or he or he resigned from there, but he only lasted kind of five months there. But uh, I mean, Liam Richard, I mean Richardson, obviously, I mean from the outside looking in, you know where you were around Christmas time when Sheridan left. I mean, from us looking in, I mean he did a cracking job under the circumstances. Um, was there always a worry though that he'd he'd go and follow Paul Cook at Ipswich? I think at one point there was, yeah, because we all expected it to happen. The minute the minute Cook went into Ipswich, everyone was thinking, well, how long is it before Richardson goes and joins him? Cook mm. came out quite early and said, not till the summer at least. And that sort of gave us a bit of respect. And I think Cook was probably quite well aware of the fact that he was held in high regard with Wigan fans, despite the fact that he'd left, as in, in the summer. And I understood why he left when he gave his reasons in that, we were still in a relegation battle and the administrators were trying to sell players from under his nose throughout that without even telling him. So, yeah. and it, and it, it was all a bit underhand. So that's why Paul Cook walked. And I can understand him having been there for two, three years, got us to the championship, kept us up, built a squad that potentially, if we hadn't have had the 10 point destruction, we definitely have stayed up and we'd have, we'd have finished probably to the, towards the top end of the bottom half of the table and then keep them, couple of additions and go again the following season in the championship we'd probably have a good chance of trying to make the playoffs and he and he'd had it all pulled from underneath him i can understand why he probably felt well i need a break i'm not prepared to do this again and then obviously three or four months later the ipswich job comes up and he goes down there but yeah richardson leaving and following him was was a bit of a worry um richardson came out quite early i think and said no i'm, I'm happy where i am for now and and we sort of half expected that it might happen this summer but i don't think it Definitely not, because he signed an extension to his contract. And I think the other thing I think with Richardson is that I think the six months that he had from when Sheridan left to the end of the season and the run of results we weren't on and the fact we managed to stay up again, I think it's shown him that he can do it as a number one. He doesn't have to be a, a, a number two anymore. He can do it as a number one. If he can do it during everything that was going on, yeah. last season yeah, <laughs> I'm not exactly. sure what, what, what else can thought Adam to be honest because uh, yeah. the takeover happened in, in March eventually consortium led by a Bahrain businessman yeah yeah, obviously stayed up and things seemed a lot more positive but I mean just in ten, terms of the general fan base I mean after the experiences the last couple of years is, is everyone just a bit wary of you know how things are being run or is, is it quite relaxed now or still people are a bit worried about new owners generally i think <laughs> I, I think that the majority of the fan base has been swept up with the romance of oh we've been saved and they seemingly yeah. are rich owners and there's been a lot of talk of us splashing the cash out the transfer window but you've got to bear in mind we start with a squad of i think we had six six registered professionals at the end of last season go to go into this so we needed to build a squad they might have yeah. um, signed quite a lot of players, but most of them up until this point have been on a free. I think we paid some money for a striker from Rochdale, Stephen Humphreys. But I think generally, yeah. I don't think we've paid out a transfer fee as, as, as such until now. Yeah, and I, and I noticed, I mean, it, it's all interesting stuff because obviously Sunderland, have, you know, we've been through yes. a couple of takeovers recently of varying different standings. But uh, I mean, I noticed the owner has a presence on social media and we had a, Bit of an experiment with that a few years back. So, so how's that going? <laughs> I'm not entirely convinced that it's actually him, but <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> that's, that's running it. So, 
One of the guys that's involved in Wigan is a gentleman called Dr. Tom Markham, who's a football finance mm. expert, and he's produced. He's been involved in producing films like documentary football documentary films. Um, I think he's been involved in some iteration of Football Manager, the game at some point, mm. but um, I'm not entirely sure that it, it's Mr. Hamad that's running the Twitter account all the time. But yeah, he's certainly um, whoever's whoever's behind it is certainly getting the fans on on side. <laughs> Okay. Interesting. It's probably the best way to be because we, we had our owner, previous owner, who did it, you know, as a personal account, and yeah, it went it went very wrong very quickly. Hmm. Um, it's probably the best way to run it if you're going to do it. I do, I do think you have to be very wary because when it's going good, it's great in it. But the minute yeah. the minute something goes wrong, you get ten ten or twelve thousand people tweeting to your head <laughs> yeah. or telling telling you how to run things. It's you've either, either yeah. turn your notifications off or have a very thick skin. That's it. What one bad result, and you've got thousands of people telling you the yeah. second manager. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But uh, but I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of settle round to to kind of this summer, as you mentioned, you've done a bit of business. I just want to get straight into the main two. No messing about, <laughs> as you've obviously signed Max Power and Charlie White on on free transfers, who yeah, yeah. both played major major roles for us last season, getting to the playoffs. And I want I want to start with with Max Power because we signed him from you three years ago. Um, yeah. Are Wigan fans happy to see him back? Yeah, I think. When he when he ended up leaving Wigan, he sort of fell out of favour a bit with Paul Cook, and it was almost like I don't I don't want to question Max's attitude, but I think Max wanted to play central midfield and wasn't doing and wasn't getting in there, and Cook was asking him to play sort of either right back or wide right, and he didn't exactly like it, and I think it affected his performances. Now whether that was purely down to attitude or that it's not his favoured position and what have you, I don't know. So he sort of fell out of favour with Cook and ended up going off up to Sunderland. And at the time, there were some question, some Wigan fans who were sort of, well, he can't do it at championship level or, you know what I mean, they, they sort of didn't see it as, mm. as a, a great loss that he'd gone. I think who we'd signed as as his replacement, um, Joe Williams, who we got from Everton that has ended up at now at Bristol City. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definite improvement on, on Max Bart. He's a he's a solid League One player, Max Power, and um, I think there's a, there's a couple of reasons why Richardson's brought him back in. He knows him from his time here before, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't think there's any arguing that he's got leadership qualities, and that's probably what we need: a bit of experience, a bit of leadership, because we've still got a smattering of young lads in the squad. And um, from what I've seen so far in preseason, he's playing well, and maybe it's a case of. And being out, out of the Jermaine Genus didn't he up at Newcastle made a point of it being a goldfish bowl maybe being up at Sunderland yeah. with the, the amount of fans you've got up there is a bit of a goldfish bowl and, and maybe he didn't I don't know I can't comment because I haven't watched yeah. him a lot up at Sunderland but I get the impression that Sunderland fans <laughs> now from what I've seen don't think that it's a great loss that he's left you but well you know his time at Sunderland he came in he got he looked he looked like he he was busy early on when he first signed for us three years ago, and then he got mm. sent off twice in the space of just a few weeks, and and then after that it was really weird because he he seemed to then for for a long stretch he seemed to kind of forget what type of player he actually was, mm. and we he couldn't quite find a role that suited him. You know, we had, last season he played a lot of right back. Um, we had a lot of injuries, and then mm. you know the odd time he moved back into midfield, but then he never really ran the show like we probably expected them to. But do you think Wigan fans are expecting the same type of player who left? Or is, do you think it's going to be a different Max Power you've got? I think a different Max Power. 
before he seemed to be a bit of a, a more of a box to box midfielder. He certainly got a yeah. goal in him, but I don't expect to see him being that sort of marauding max power that we saw before. I think he'll sit at the the diamond of a midfield or or what have you, and he'll dictate play from there. Yeah, that's that's what I expect. Yeah, it'd be interesting because, um, like I said, he seemed to forget what type of player he was. So it'd be interesting to see where he what role he actually takes on for Wigan. But uh, then there's this Charlie Wake, 25 goals in League One last year, 31 goals and 54 appearances in all competitions. And it's weird, I've just rattled off those stats, but I've never known a striker to score so many goals but split a fan base like Charlie White did last mm-hmm. season. So what's the feeling about signing someone who, who kind of bagged so many goals last season? Um, I don't think a lot of Wigan fans know much about him. I think they see him as a bit of a target man. He's obviously got the goal record, and it? it's a, it's a, I think Sunderland fans seemed, this is my general opinion, seemed a bit <laughs> annoyed that he'd left you for us. <laughs> um, but also, there was that sort of double-edged side of things of, oh, well, he's not that good. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, 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 was, <laughs> it, it was a strange one. It was like, oh, he's great. Oh, no, wait a minute. No, he's not that good. No, he's not, not with us. And also saying, like, oh, he only, he only scores with his head and you're going to have to play to his strengths and what have you. But at the minute, he's looking like the perfect foil for Humphreys, who we've signed from Rochdale, who I mentioned earlier who's a busy little striker, more of a, a sort of a playmaker, perfect for a, a number 10 role. And I think that's how Richardson's going to play them. He's going to play White up front with Humphreys sort of buzzing about him behind. Similar, funnily enough, mentioning strikers between Wigan and, and Sunderland to, to Grigg, under, Wigan yeah. under Cook. So Grigg was the main, the main front man. Didn't always get the rewards of, of his efforts, but he used to run himself into the ground for an hour. And he had... Nick Powell, 10 yards off the back of him, exploiting the space by the fact that Grigg was operating, uh, occupying the two centre-halves and, and allowing Nick Powell space. I don't know how White plays if he'd be playing with a, a playmaker in behind him, playing him in, you know, off the shoulder of the centre-half. I don't know because all, all I've heard is he better off getting the ball wide and crossing it to him and, and he'll he'll be no good without McGeady. But yeah. time, time will tell, I suppose. Yeah, that's it, and it, well, that, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure Richardson signed him with a plan. You, you can't just yeah. stick someone like like wake up without a plan. I mean, yeah, get if the ball comes to him in the box, generally he'll stick it away. But uh, you've got to you've got to have players around him. You know, if, yeah. quite often for us last season, he was the only one up front. He was quite isolated, and yeah. that's why you know we got the ball wide and got the ball in the box. But uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he got you know 15 plus goals uh, mm. this season. But uh, but yeah, last season's kind of you know twenty odd was uh, a lot to do with with McGeady. He's probably a fifteen a season striker. Mm. Time will tell. But maybe last season was a one off. But uh, but we'll see. But uh, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Richardson's got a plan. Like I said, and uh, yeah, <laughs> I think also the fans. Are... The, the other thing I'd say is he's different to the other strikers we've got. We've it seems to me like Richards sort of got a plan, got different ways of playing, and whether and whether he sees. Wyke as a target man for a little while. And and again, Paul Cook for um, a long period of the last championship season mm-hmm. before before the administration, for a long period seemed to be playing sort of target man, long ball football up to Kiefer Moore when we signed him. And mm-hmm. it was almost like, and I don't know whether it was coming from Cook or whether it was the players just sort of regressed into going, oh, well, he's six foot five, let's launch the ball at him and see what sticks. But... It was only in the latter half of the season when 
we started getting the ball down and playing because we had the players to do it. The things sort of come good. And Kiefer Moore, again, scored goals with his head for Wales, etc. Mm-hmm. But he's a decent footballer if you get the ball into feet. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, yeah. But again, you don't know whether it comes from the manager or whether it comes from the players just not necessarily listening to instructions or, or just regressing to play in a certain way. Yeah, and I think there was an expectation that uh, that Charlie White, you know, with the, with the record he had last season, would maybe, you know, leave us to to say, "Oh, well, I'm going to make a move to the to the championship," but uh, but I'm I'm not sure whether there's offers he turned down or what. But uh, it was kind of a bit of a surprise to see him leave, but end up end up yeah. in, in League One. We thought he might try and make another crack of it, but but yeah. I mean, just on the other, other signings, I mean, uh, Jack Watmore, um, you signed for Portsmouth. He was a Kind of regular uh, in centre half there for them. Gian Ever- uh, Edwards played for Ipswich three years right wing. Tom Nailer, same for Portsmouth. Jordan Cousins signed from Stoke. Uh, ben Amos in goal. So yeah. I mean, what's the what's the feeling about the recruitment you've you've managed to get done? Um, quietly impressed. The likes of Watmore was obviously sort of captain leader leader material at Portsmouth. We seem to have taken players off what I would consider rivals for going up. And if you're strengthening yourselves and weakening your rivals at the same time, White possibly is, is another one in that bracket that we've already mentioned. If if he gets 15 goals, that's 15 goals that you've not got that we have. Um, yeah. And again, some of the other players we've signed, experienced, yeah, leadership again, I would, I would, I would say that. And and also, I think to, to some extent, I think we've built the a decent makings of a, of a first team. We've, we've unbeaten in four pre-season friendlies, um, two of which are against championship opposition in Preston and Stoke. Both of those games didn't really look troubled. And I know the pre-season friendlies, but we, we've played well, we've controlled the games, we've scored goals. I think we've got the makings of a strong 11 for this league. The manager came out last week and said he still thinks he needs another six or seven players, which I tend to mm-hmm. agree with. But some of the young players that we had that were playing last season that have also featured in pre-season games... Again, haven't looked out. Haven't looked out of place. Callum Lang scoring goals in pre-season. Adam Long is back in after suffering an injury at, at some point last season. Again, hasn't looked out of place. So I think we've got the makings of a, of a strong team. It's just when you get into October, November, December, early part of next year, when you've got your injuries kicking in and suspensions and stuff like that. That's when we might struggle. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, I was having a quick look at your squad earlier on and a bit like us, really, you seem just a bit low on numbers at the minute. Yeah. But I, and actually, just, just before we came on, I read um, it looks like, and there was a journalist from The Guardian was saying that um, you're looking like you're going to, to loan Jordan Jones uh, for the season. He was on loan with us last season from, from Rangers. What was so, he like? Um, in individual games, he was, you know, he, he was kind of, you know, head and shoulders above anything in League One, but... Mm. The next week he just disappear. It was one of them where you could tell he had the talent. It was just getting him up for for game after game. Maybe it was a because he wasn't fit, not playing at Rangers. But maybe if he has a full season of it, he can he can get that consistency. But uh, on his day, he, he was uh, he was absolutely brilliant for us. Another one to look out for. <laughs> yeah, if you if you bring him in, the other one I was going to mention is is Bailey Wright because um you were linked with him last week as well from us um but it went a bit quiet on that front. Do you think uh, that's one you may be still looking at? Possibly. Um, I, I think because obviously we need to get numbers in, you wonder where the links are coming from. The fact that we've already signed players from yourselves or there seems to be a history of players moving between the two clubs. It's not like there's a, a sort yeah. of frost, frosty relationship there where trans, transfers yeah. between the two don't take place. 
I don't know. I always thought sort of a lot of contracts expire on the 31st of July, don't they? And there'll be a lot of players yeah. now where, and because of what's happened over the last 18 months, there'll be a lot of squads um, or clubs trimming squad sizes ever so slightly or, or whatever, yeah. because because the, they've run up debts and, and they're struggling, where there might suddenly be uh, quite a few players available on freeze again. And we've done decent business without having to shell out too much money. And yeah. you don't always have to pay big bucks to get de- decent players in. It under Whelan, just going back to Whelan, under Whelan, we never really like paid massive transfer fees for players to some extent. The way that he sort of did it was quite happily paying over the odds in wages. Come and do a season yeah. in the championship with us. If we don't go up and you want to move, then you can have your move. But and and the likes of like Matt Jackson and Ariane Zoo and those sorts of players at the time were sort of bottom end Premier League players but he managed to get them to come and play for us at a league below by by sort of paying over on the wages and I wonder whether they're doing a similar sort of thing now yeah that just had uh, just had a flashback there I mean that, that was some quality championship manager type players you'd, uh, <laughs> you pulled out there in terms of pre-season I saw you had some good results against Preston and Stoke but uh, things generally going well over the summer things feeling positive after the pre-season yeah yeah definitely I think fans are itching to get going the players look settled we seem to have done quite a bit of the business early, so they've had quite a bit bit of time together in pre-season. We've had some good results, and uh, and against opposition who are higher up than us, to both Preston and Stoker Championship clubs and, and decent championship squads at that, and we we played well against them. So I think it's, it's a bit of a strange league in that there's obviously the likes of Wednesday that came down, who were a, a, a yeah. big club, yourselves, who, when it's full... It's it's a big intimidated ground and the fact that you get you get big crowds all the time and the money coming through your tills that way as opposed to a Wigan. And we'll admit our crowds aren't the biggest. And that sort of to some extent gives you an advantage because you've got a bit more money to play with. But I don't think realistically the league overall, I don't think there's anyone to fear. And it's 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 one of them. It's it's potentially it's there for the taking. There's probably a good six, seven, eight, nine clubs that could be in with a shout of finishing top two. I don't think any any of them would really have any great grumbles if it was two out of the six, seven, yeah, eight, nine I'm, of them. I'm going to bring you back on that before we finish. I'm going to hold you to an answer on that in a second. But uh, <laughs> I mean, in, in terms of in terms of this weekend, um, in terms of the game, what should Sun and fans be expecting in terms of you know how you're going to set up? I mean, does Richardson does he come out the blocks? Are you going to be in our faces, or is it kind of possession game or kind of frustrate us I mean what what, what do you think uh, Wigan's game plan is going to be I think he likes to keep the ball but I don't think it's possession for possession's sake try and go forward and be penetrative with it he seems to set up in a, a sort of a 4-2-3-1 mm. I certainly won't look to sit back and I think mm. given the opportunity to tight we'll have a go at you yeah. other than Charlie White and Max Power because we, we know all about them but uh, who else should Sunderland fans be Looking out for to cause us problems. Humphreys is the one. Number 10, we signed him from Rochdale. We paid about 400 grand for him. He's looked tidy in. He's got an eye for goal. Um, scored, scored a couple of brilliant free kicks in and around the edge of the box, which a couple of times I think it was him and Max Powers stood over them. <laughs> and uh, He was arguing with Max's captain as to who was taking him. I think Max <laughs> let him have one and, and was glad he had when he saw it fly in. But Humphreys... <laughs> Callum, Callum Lang, if he gets on, is a young striker who did all right last season with a run of games. He's been out on loan quite a few times. 
Shrewsbury and uh, spent quite a bit of time up in Scotland at, at Motherwell. But when he came back in the January of last season, came back from a loan up in Scotland, was the one that helped fire the goals to keep us up, him and Will Keane. And Will Keane, another one, complaining, seems to be playing in a number 10 role more than playing out an out striker now that White's in. But again, mm. got an eye for goal. Yeah, I was looking at Humphreys earlier on. It seemed like he he was like, a right in terms of goal scoring, he was like a one in three type player. Yeah. Um, so I was trying to work out what, what, but it makes sense if you say he's that one who's going to sit behind. If you were in Lee Johnson's shoes ahead of ahead of Saturday, how would you be targeting this Wigan side to get a result? Are there any weaknesses we can expose this weekend? Um, I don't know how well we are sort of defending set pieces. We've It's something that's been a fragility for the last 12, 18 months, two, two three years, particularly under Cook. We seem to be... A, I wouldn't have necessarily said soft, but um, it, it was certainly team teams um, did expose us at corners and free kicks and things like that. So mm. that that would be the one I would say, which is ironic considering your lot said that's how White <laughs> scores goals <laughs> and, uh, from yeah. crosses and, and now he's not going to be there to do it. <laughs> well, yeah to, yeah, to be fair, he's... Uh... He's not bad actually defending, actually, if you, you stick him in there of uh, opposition corners and that, you know, he does a job with that. Just just on Sunderland, I mean, just because it's always interesting getting uh, an outside view of it, because Sunderland have been relatively quiet uh, this summer. We've only brought in um, Pritchard, uh, Callum Doyle, Corey Evans in, in midfield. Mm. So, I mean, just from the outside, I mean, what's your assessment of the, the business Sunderland have done before we, we get into the new season? I don't, I don't know too much about Doyle and Corey Evans. Pritchard... Is a tidy little player, and again, one I think mm. probably bottom end of championship. If he gets if he gets a run of games and can and can build a bit of form, so he's probably your one to watch. What's he look like in pre season? <laughs> well, typically he, we signed him, and then he immediately came down with a positive COVID result. <laughs> so he's uh, so you haven't a chance to COVID. see him play yet. Is he will he be out for weekend? I think um he's he's definitely failing it and he's uh, he's out for the first few games at least, I think. Um, so he's actually so, he's yeah. actually had it and felt ill rather than just tested yeah, positive. Yeah. Oh, it's a shame. The thing as well with that is once once he recovers from it and can train again, you don't know the long term effects of it, do you? And and how long it's actually gonna yeah, take exactly. him to build a bit of fitness then. But yeah. Yeah, a bit of a shame. But uh, the we've signed a, a real kind of Rolls Royce at the back in Callum Doyle, he's only only 17 from Man City you'd think he was in his prime kind of 26 27 if Man City are churning those type of players out it'd be scary to watch their academy yeah <laughs> yeah so so this weekend um two sides of the bookies fancy to be in the mixer for promotion at the end of the season um in terms of odds for the game I was taking a look at it Sunderland uh, um 10 to 11 on to win the game um Wigan are three to one to get all three points away from home the draws five to two so if you're having a punt on it would you fancy a correct score for, for this weekend? <laughs> uh, I try and avoid predictions. I'd tell you now I'd settle for a draw. <laughs> I'd settle for a draw. It's a different, a difficult place to go first weekend of the season. No one really knows much about the opposition, especially when you players in. But yeah, mm. I'm quite happy to not get beat most weeks. I think if you can start keeping clean sheets, that's a platform to build confidence and go on and win games. And also, I don't want to, don't want to, don't want to peak too early. <laughs> yeah, so was that. If we're yeah. still, in, if we're still in the, still in the mix after Christmas, I'll be happy. Yeah, I've got, uh, I've got a feeling it's going to be a low-scoring game, maybe one-one. Mm-hmm. 
One one's five to one, so that might be worth a punt. But uh, the first goal scorer for Wigan, any, any tips, or is it going to be inevitably Charlie Wake who gets the opener? <laughs> I don't know. Him, him, Wilkie or Humphreys, it depends on uh, who Richardson choose, chooses to play up front. Whether he'll throw Wake in, I think he probably will because he's played in most. He started and played in most of the preseason games since since he came in. Him, him or Humphreys, I, I keep mentioning Humphreys, but I really like the look of him. He, um, yeah. I, Scored scored a couple of fantastic goals when Rochdale beat us at the DW last season, and I know we were playing with a, a sort of a, a young team, etc. But he really did look a player, and uh, I know you mentioned earlier his records one in three. I'd be interested to see if he could he could improve that a little bit playing in a, in a I don't want to say bigger club than Rochdale, but with better players around him. Yeah, I'd be looking out for Humphreys. I was looking at him like I said, and it was difficult to. To know where it, where he was at, but uh, yeah. after, after speaking, it's going to be interesting seeing him. I mean, and to to quickly finish on the on the kind of crystal ball front, um, I was looking at odds odds for promotion at Zipswich and Sunderland nine to four uh, favourites, then Sheffield Wednesday eleven to four, Portsmouth ten to three, and then Wigan are seven to two, and you know it's odd because you know you finished a point above the relegation places last year, and but the bookies think you you're going to be in the mix, so. What's the general expectations for, for Wigan fans this season? I think generally, seeing as we are, was always either flirt with promotion or relegation. And after everything <laughs> that's gone on over the last 12, 18 months, I think we're quite happy to be uh, settling for mid-table and uh, a season yeah. of nothing to worry about towards the end. I do think in the starting eleven that we've got, we've certainly got the quality to be up there. Depends on who else we manage to bring in and get that strength in depth, and whether we manage to keep yeah. uh, keep keep um, free from any long term injuries. But from the starting eleven, we've certainly got the quality, and I, I think I said earlier, I think the league the league in general is much of a muchness. There's a lot of un, sort of unknown quantities, but nothing really to fear. I don't <laughs> think there's any going to be any team. I don't think there's going to be any team that runs away with it. Certainly not. Well, on on that note, I was going to say, who do you fancy for the? the two automatic places ask me again at christmas <laughs> <laughs> yeah the the predictions at this point never go right we're, we're starting <laughs> to put some up starting to put some up on the site and i just know it's a, it's a lot it's a lot of garbage while i'm putting them together but, uh, <laughs> but there you go to be honest it's, it's great for everyone just to see fans back in the stadium uh for a start i imagine if pre-season friendly's going a bit like that everyone kind of getting back into it and the buzz feeling the buzz of getting back yeah, it was a bit strange being in the ground again on Friday night. Mm. Felt a bit weird at first, but uh, it was just nice to be back and, and feel normal mm. after everything that's gone yeah. on. Feel, well, some semblance of normal. You can't mm. be that walking up the steps and seeing the, the turf for the first <laughs> time again, can you? No, no. To be honest, I mean, I think uh, Saturday, I think the atmosphere is going to gonna reflect that kind of feeling everyone just kind of that feeling of normality really but yeah it'd be good to get back into it but yeah on that note i just want to say thank you very much chris uh really no enjoyed problem. the chance to catch up um and obviously except against us all the best for the season <laughs> ahead mate yeah thanks for having me nice one cheers chris and thanks again everyone for listening uh keep a look out at rock the report for all the build-up ahead of the game keep an eye out on all the usual places for the next pod as they should be dropping pretty rapidly now the circus is back uh, but from us it's bye for now a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mother's Day is just around the corner, and it's time to pamper the special moms in your life. In what better way than with Osea's limited edition skincare sets, featuring clean, vegan, cruelty-free products that are safe for your skin and the planet. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been making seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. This Mother's Day, Osea has two limited edition sets, perfect for gifting or keeping for yourself. Their Golden Glow Body Set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for silky, smooth, glowing skin, while the Glow and Go Facial Set has everything she needs to achieve spa-level results at home. They're so beautiful, you can skip the wrapping. For a limited time, you can save up to $48 on Osea's sets, plus get free shipping. That's Mother's Day made easy. Pamper the moms in your life and get 10% off your first order site-wide with code MOM at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code MOM.